Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. Anthony the Bull Caruso back with you for another edition and we are back on the ice for the 2021-22 NHL preview this time, we're not talking about the Western Conference. We're talking about the one that truly matters, the Eastern Conference. And who better to join us then tonight than the master of everything for the Eastern Conference, my fellow Canadian supporter, Canada, as in terms of the country itself, the Lord Mayor Keith Sapolsky. Good evening to you. I was going to say, don't you dare tag me as a Canadian's supporter. Thank you very much. Because we have a not a bad record in the playoffs against you the last few times we played you. Yeah, except the problem is for you guys is that the last time you've been in the comp, the uh, the playoffs has been, well, a few years ago now, is it not? Yeah, but we're just starting to get on the up and up. I'm pretty happy with the way we're going now. <laughs> Fair enough. But look, when it comes to the international matches, you and I do unite over one common enemy, don't we? Yeah, it is always nice to see Canada win in the ice hockey because, let's face it, Australia doesn't win much of anything when it comes to ice hockey internationals. And uh, speaking of the internationals, it was interesting to see that the NHL have released their schedule, which does allow for Olympic participation. Now, that remains to be seen because you do have the situation where it's an interesting one only the IOC could make Gary Bettman look like the good guy in an argument. So the, the fight they're having at the moment is because players need insurance, obviously, when they play in the Olympics, um, the IOC expects the NHL to pay for the players' insurance because the players are employed by NHL clubs. Sure. And the NHL said, yeah, okay, fair enough. Obviously, on the back of that, we're going to want a little bit of quid pro quo because, you know, it's a business decision. So we want access to your intellectual property. And the IOC turned around and said, absolutely not. You get none of our intellectual property. They're your employees. You pay their insurance and we get to keep all the benefits. At which point, Gary Bettman told them to take a long walk off a short pier, which is why you didn't see any NHL players at the last Winter Olympics. Now, the NHL has made a decision. Yes, they'll go to the Winter Olympics provided that we can get a deal done with the IOC and in a very rare show of unity, the Players Association has turned around and said, you know what, that, that's not an unreasonable request. If you're going to pay insurance, you should be able to get some of the benefit of the players playing in the Olympics. So now the IOC has to do a deal with the NHL and who would have thought that Gary Bettman would turn out to be the good guy? Who would have thought that any North American-based commissioner of a competition actually turns out to be a good guy. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on. We are talking about the IOC who tend to have a little bit of a reputation that can be compared to FIFA. I, I think IOC makes anybody look good by comparison when it comes to shady business practices and all that sort of thing. But yeah, for the NHL of this, to come out of this smelling like roses and being reasonable, particularly when Gary Bettman is a real nasty negotiator when it comes to most of the CBAs, then I think that Gary Bettman's done an absolutely outstanding job to be able to position the IOC as the bad guy. But then again, the IOC gave him plenty to work with. Well, as they say, give enough rope. Yep, that's right. Let's 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 not waste any more time here because we are to, here to talk about one thing and one thing only. It is the Eastern Conference, the conference that matters and we've got another 16 teams to go through, and I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be big, and of course, we are in the conference that matters this week. Not that we're biased or anything, as we've already mentioned, with the greatest division of all, the Atlantic division as well, coming up after the break. But we've got another division to get to first. Absolutely. With that, the puck is about to drop once again. Let's get straight into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. <laughs> We're going to kick things off now tonight with the Metropolitan Division, and we're going to start off with one of your favourites for first place in the Metropolitan Division, the Carolina Hurricanes, who are in an 
absolute competitive window right now. Now, I do have to ask before we start on the analysis of Carolina, you being a Montreal fan, of course, has the burn stopped hurting yet over Jesperi Kotkaniemi? Has the burn stopped hurting yet? No, no, it hasn't. I don't think it's going to stop burning for, for quite some time. Okay, to, to lay the groundwork here, a couple of years ago, a guy by the name Sebastian Aho was playing for Carolina. Montreal tendered him an offer sheet, which he signed. Now, in the NHL, as a young player, your rights belong to your team, your playing rights. And Carolina offered him a contract. Now, what that means is it's a qualifying offer. And Sebastian Aho didn't sign the offer. Instead, he signed a contract with Montreal. When you're a restricted free agent, your team has the right to match that contract and you have to stay with your original team. Carolina matched that. Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi now is a former Montreal Canadian. And Carolina decided to respond in kind and tendered him an offer sheet. And the best part was they offered him a $20 signing bonus. And guess what number Sebastian Aho wears? It was just Aww. the most beautiful little, beautiful little backhander. It was so funny. But Jesperi Kotkaniemi, he signed that offer sheet and Montreal did not match it. So now Jesperi Kotkaniemi belongs to the Carolina Hurricanes who gave up a first round pick and a third round pick as compensation to the Montreal Canadiens. So when I asked Caruso about the burn, that's exactly what Montreal's burning about. But Carolina, for a team that did so well last year, I'm really surprised at the amount of turnover that they've had. It's huge. A couple of plays. Couple of players in particular, Dougie Hamilton. They weren't prepared to go to nine million dollars for Dougie Hamilton. Now, if you're asking me, the top three defensemen in the National Hockey League at the moment, who would I be prepared to pay nine million dollars a year to get? Victor Hedman, absolutely no doubt from the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's one. Who would I go to next? Probably Kale McCarr from the Colorado Avalanche would be my next bet. And then you've got either Shea Theodore from the Vegas Golden Knights or Dougie Hamilton. So I don't think there's any doubt that he's among the top five defensemen in the NHL. Carolina weren't prepared to pay him $9 million. So he's left. But coming in, they brought in Tony D'Angelo, who is a very interesting character who was brought out by the New York Rangers because apparently he had a lot of personality problems there. They brought in Jonathan Bernier as a backup goaltender to Antti Ranta, who they brought in from Arizona after they let Petr Mrazek go. And they also let James Reimer go. And they let Alex Nedeljkovic go. Now, he was their goaltender of the future, a goaltender on the rise. They traded Jake Bean, perhaps their most promising defenseman, to Columbus. But Carolina's loaded on the blue line as well. They brought in Freddie Anderson from Toronto as a as a goaltending option as well. They brought in Ethan Bear from Edmonton as a defenseman and let Warren Fergley go. So I'm just wondering whether they see Ethan Bear as an upgrade on Jake Bean, and maybe that's why they let Jake Bean go. There's a lot of turnover there, and we know that Tom Dundon, the owner in Carolina, does things differently. But having a look at the turnover, I'm not convinced that they move anywhere because Dougie Hamilton is such a great loss. But everywhere else, I think they've actually picked up a little bit more momentum as they've gone Carolina. I think had they kept Dougie Hamilton, they would be a genuine cup contender. At the moment, I think they're just on that on that, on that that uh, position on the ladder where they're not quite an elite, genuine cup contender. But if they get a few things go their way, they can certainly be. That's why I've got them pegged for first in the division. But I, I don't think this team is necessarily all that much worse or better than last season, which is why I'm going to stick with them for the time being. Here's my question to you as well. Jonathan Bernier, as you mentioned, has come in from Detroit, but they offloaded him. Correct me if I'm wrong, they've offloaded him straight to the New Jersey Devils. Actually, that's a very good point. Yeah, I do apologize about that. I completely forgot that Bernier um, was offloaded to the New Jersey Devils. I completely overlooked that. So your goaltending tandem now is going to be Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta. I think they brought in Jonathan Bernier as an option before they were able to get their hands on Freddie Anderson. Once they got their hands on Freddie Anderson from Toronto, they figured, okay, Bernier is expendable. We're going to move him on to New Jersey now and go from there. So good pickup, and I do apologize. No, not at all. Let's move on to the Columbus Blue Jackets. We went from the team that you tipped coming first to the team that you've tipped coming last. Are they are they the wooden spooners in the NHL this year? 
No, absolutely not. They're not going to finish last in the NHL. They're not that bad a team, actually. It's simply because all those teams in the Metro division are ahead of them, and they've lost some really big pieces as well. Cam Atkinson is a big loss. I don't know what they're gaining by bringing Jakub Voracek in. I think I prefer Cam Atkinson. Maybe they're doing that just to be able to get out from under Atkinson and try and bring a little bit of experience in, someone who's been to the playoffs before and can teach the younger kids that they've got. Seth Jones was a big loss, but it was a masterful trade from Yamo Kekalainen to get a first and a second and Adam Boquist out of the Chicago Blackhawks for Seth Jones and a sixth-round pick, that is just stupid brilliant. When I go and buy my house, I'm going to give Yamo Kekalainen a call and get him to negotiate the price for me. Fair income. He is an absolute genius. Some of the other players they've lost, they've lost Adam Clendenning to Philadelphia. Michael Delzotto is going to Ottawa. They haven't lost anyone of note. The one I really like is that they've acquired Jake Bean in trade from Carolina. They're not going to be any good this season. Of course, they just don't have enough of that high-end talent. But if they can keep this group together, develop it over the next two or three years, you can have Adam Boquist, you're going to have Jake Bean playing alongside Zach Wierenski on that blue line. You've got Elvis Merzlikens, who's in goal for them as well. I mean, this, this is looking good for them. If they can find a couple of diamonds in the rough in the forwards in the next couple of drafts to go alongside Patrick Lyonet, who, let's not forget, he's on the Columbus Blue Jackets as well, though he's yet to re-sign. I believe he's got his qualifying offer, but he just hasn't re-signed yet. If they can find someone to feed Patrick Lyonet, this Columbus Blue Jackets team could bounce back to being a playoff contender very, very quickly. How quickly are we talking? Are we talking we're talking two years, three years? Yeah, I don't think three years is unreasonable because um, Columbus have had to go back and restock the pipeline after they had that real big run where they swept Tampa in the first round. Uh, they poured everything into that one and unfortunately got rolled by Boston in the following round. I'm looking at Columbus. I, I just think they need to restock in the forwards a bit. I think they're all right defensively. They certainly got some great goaltending options, but I, I just don't think they've got scoring or playmaking yet. I know they've got Patrick Lyonet, but he's no good without someone feeding him. So if they can find themselves a centre, then I think they're really set up for a good future, but they need to get some real promising players in soon. We then move on to the New Jersey Devils, who you've got in seventh place. Um, still in rebuild mode, as you mentioned, but, of course, they were the beneficiaries of this Dougie Hamilton deal. Uh, but they're shaping quite nicely. Similar to Columbus, you could see them in the playoffs in a couple of years. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be this year just yet because all those teams in this Metro division are so far ahead of them. But Jonathan Bernier is a good get to back up Mackenzie Blackwood, who is turning into a really good goaltender, but he's still really young, so he needs a backup. Dougie Hamilton's a masterful signing. Top five defenseman in the league. He's their genuine number one defenseman, and he's really going to help their blue line develop as well. Ryan Graves, really good acquisition from Colorado. Their blue line is really taking shape. To think that P.K. Subban is probably on his way out of New Jersey at the end of this contract because they won't want to re-sign him, I'm really encouraged by what I see. I see really good signs in goal, but like Columbus, I really want to see their offense take another step forward. Jack Hughes has struggled so far, but we see center prospects generally struggle in their first season in the NHL. He took a seat, he took a bit of a step forward last year, but it was more baby steps rather than a great leap forward. So Jack Hughes has a bit of improvement ahead of him as well. They've got Nico Heesha, who went second overall a couple of years ago in that Nolan Patrick draft. So they've got some real good prospects, but they just need to step it up a little bit with their forward development. New Jersey, and if they do, then there's good times ahead. But again, they're still in that rebuild phase. They'll be okay. We then move across the uh, across the ditch, you could say, to the New York Islanders. You've tipped them second place. Geez, they're looking good now, and they really have taken New York by the scruff of the neck. Yeah, they are now the big brothers in New York once again. They've really only signed Richard Parnick. Casey Sizikas, I've got as a loss. He's actually come off that losses list because he has re-signed for them. I'm still waiting on a couple of other players, but they haven't really lost a whole lot of note. I know that Zay Jack and Palmieri, they're pretty useful players, 
but I don't think that they're going to be losing a whole lot because Matt Barzell is really an elite playmaker these days. So they've got Sezikis back. They've got Barzell signed up. They've got Andrew Ladd off the roster. They've got Nick Letty off the roster as well, which is really good business from Lou Lamorello. So I think Barry Trotz and Lamorello, they're in a really good position to be able to take another step forward this coming season in the NHL. Is it good enough to get them to a Stanley Cup? Well, I'll tell you at the end of the episode. Well, I mean, the, the question is, there's a big question there, and we'll come to that a little bit later on. Let's move across to their crosstown rivals, the New York Rangers. And as one New York team goes up, the other one's going de- has been going down. They've been struggling last couple of years, and you've marked them in particular getting roughed up by Washington, which is never a good sign. Yeah, Tom Wilson really took them to town last year, really got stuck in, and Artemi Panarin needed to step in and try and be the tough guy. Artemi Panarin is not a tough guy. He's a skilled player. And New York Rangers, they knew what they needed to do. So they needed to get a little bit bigger, a little bit tougher. So you just go out and sign Ryan Reeves and Park Barclay Goodrow, who would probably... <laughs> who would, who would who that so signing let me put it this way signing one of them would be a pretty good thing if you sign both of them then you're looking for bodyguards at long bay they are two really they are two big units that you don't want to mess with goodrow and reeves so they've really doubled down on the toughness so they've they've seen a hole that could probably be filled with spack filler and they've decided to build a brand new house in front of the hole to protect that hole in the is house this, is this like so, is this like is this like putting paul harrigan and mark carroll in the same team together pretty much yeah yeah you're looking for one enforcer so it's like the old el paso ad why not both so yeah. you go out and get both of them why not um pavel buchnevich he would have been nice to keep around <laughs> stop laughing pavel buchnevich would have been nice to keep around they just couldn't afford him when they went out and got barclay goodrow um and ryan reeves at the same time They've got Adam Fox, who is a real elite defenseman in the making. They're in the Jack Eichel sweepstakes as well. So they're in there looking for Jack Eichel at the moment. And we'll get to him a little bit later on. But they're another team that I think one real elite player puts them in genuine cup contention. But they're just that one real difference maker away from being able to take that big step forward but they're so young that they can get beaten around a little bit. I could very well change my outlook on what the Rangers do here, but right now I'm just going, I'm sort of a little bit cautious as to see exactly how they develop this upcoming season. Here's my question for you with, with this trade system, just for the benefit of everyone here, now that you've gone through, everyone's gone through this trade period, are mid season trades common if they can find someone in the market to be willing to go there and then. And if so, how hard can that be? Well, your two main trade periods are at the trade deadline and at the draft. They're the they're the times that you normally see a lot of trades happening. Mid-season trades aren't unheard of, but it really does involve a hockey what we call a hockey trade. And that's taking one player who is a really good player but isn't fitting in with your system and going to a team that's got another player in that situation and saying, look, let's just do a swap. Let's just, we'll take your player who can really fit in with us. If you take our player who's not fitting with us, but we think we can really fit in with you and go from there. So hockey trades, they're not common, but they're not unheard of mid-season, but normally we'll wait until the deadline and the draft. So I would imagine that you'll see a few more trades during training camp, which will be late September, mid to late September. And then, well, actually in the period when we are now, I should say, starting now, you might see a few trades happening and then maybe in the first couple of months of the season, but then you won't see much action again until February. And that's when it's really going to hot up coming into the deadline. Philadelphia Flyers are the next team off the rank and they've been very busy through this transfer phase. Uh, we've already spoken about a few of their, their trades in the Western Conference piece that we did last week, and maybe a quick rehash of what they did with Nashville in particular. But given how busy they've been and how much they've struggled over the last couple of years, are these the trades that they need to get themselves back on track? I don't think it's quite enough for Philadelphia to be able to get themselves back into the playoffs. I do love the acquisition of Ryan Ellis. I think that he is a great pickup from Nashville. He's one of the top defensemen in the NHL. He's a genuine game changer for them on the blue line because they have had struggles. Shane Gostaspear, uh, he's been shipped to Arizona. He was a real prospect that didn't really pan out for them. Matt Niskanen has retired. They've moved Philip Myers off to Nashville. Um, Nolan Patrick's gone as well. 
in that role that Nolan Patrick plays. They're going to try and fill that with Derek Brassard, and that tells you exactly how badly off Nolan Patrick was in Philadelphia, that Brassard, who has only signed on for, I think, just over a million dollars in Philadelphia, is going in to fill that hole. Now, the big problem I've got with Philadelphia, Chuck Fletcher must must have been high when he did this deal because he decided to sign Martin Jones as the backup goaltender. Remember, this is the guy last week who saves at 870-880. Now, this is a terrible acquisition for the Philadelphia Flyers. If Carter Hart gets hurt this year, then Philadelphia is done. They are absolutely done if Carter Hart loses form or gets injured. So if Carter Hart is not healthy and not playing the vast majority of games, then Philadelphia is on the way out. And that's where I think they're going to fall short because they do not have a strong enough backup goaltending option to be able to cover Hart if he does go down because Martin Jones, he's just spent. I can see why they brought in Cam Atkinson. He is a little bit of an upgrade on Jakub Voracek, but I don't think it does enough for them. And I think this is going to be the first year since the realignment into Atlantic and Metro, as opposed to the old three divisions in each conference, where the the Atlantic, I should say, sorry, will be the one to get five teams. So Philadelphia finishing fifth, I don't think will be good enough for them to make the playoffs, because I think in the Metro this year, you're going to need to be a seeded team. Let's move on to the Pittsburgh Penguins. You've called them fourth, and you've actually called them missing out on the playoffs as well. They've been rather quiet in the in the transfer sphere, only gaining Brock McGinn from, from Carolina and letting go of three players. One one of them, you think, you, you're, you're saying, thank God they let him go. Good move to let Cody Cece go. There was no way no one was going to make any sort of constructive contribution, but... They are up against it. They're getting old. Sidney Crosby, now 34 years of age. Evgeny Malkin's 35. And they're, they're just, they just don't have the prospect pipeline. It's the worst pipeline in the league, bar Seattle. And the only reason Seattle's got the worst pop- pipeline in the league is because they literally don't have prospects. They haven't been around enough time to be able to get prospects together. So Pittsburgh, they're really up against it now. They're not far away from turning the corner really into that downward spiral. As long as you've got Sidney Crosby on the team, you're going to be an option to make the playoffs. But Tristan Jarry and Casey DeSmith, as your goaltenders, is not good enough. Chris Letang is too injury prone. They don't have enough options on the blue line to really cover Letang if he goes does go down. And Latang isn't the player that he once was anymore either. Everything comes down to Crosby. Everything comes down to Malkin. If they can single-handedly, well, between them, if they can drag Pittsburgh into the playoffs, it will be nothing short of a minor miracle. I think this is the start of the downward trend. And I think we start looking at something that was unimaginable three years ago. And that's Sidney Crosby trade watch. Well, this is the thing. Like, what what do Pittsburgh do if they're going to be able to accelerate a, re- a rebuild? Now, you'd almost be calling both Crosby and Malkin to get traded out. The question is, what kind of value will they get that would be able to help them accelerate the trade? And when does it occur? I'm starting to think if it doesn't happen this year, it has to happen next year. If Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin got thrown onto the trade block, Vegas would try and sell them the MGM Grand as part of the trade. That's how desperate a team like Vegas would be because we spoke about them last week. There's a few teams who are looking for that real genuine number one center option. And if Montreal start thinking that they're a genuine contender, then they could be in play for either Malkin or Crosby as well. So there are genuine contenders around the league looking for those experienced first line centers. Granted, Malkin has played pretty much all his career as a second line center. Mind you, pretty much anybody's going to play as a second line center when you've got Sidney Crosby on the team. So there are There are options out there, and if the Penguins take a look at what they've got, this isn't a case of Pittsburgh are still genuine contenders, but as soon as these two guys retire, they're going to go off a cliff. They're not genuine contenders anymore. And I think you've got to start looking at moving these guys, getting the value for them now, because you can still get a King's Ransom for two guys like that. And I think you're going to get a really nice return for them. I think you're going to get a very nice return. And yeah, I think Pittsburgh, I think they got to bite the bullet. If they are not in a top three position at the All-Star game, which is around the Australia Day weekend, if they go into February and they're outside the top three in the Metro division, I think they've got to just 
pull the pull the cord and throw Crosby and Malkin onto the block and ask them, okay, where do you guys want to go? And we'll do our best to get a King's Ransom for you from those teams. What's your tip? I, I'm sitting here thinking that, as you said, you got Vegas and you got Montreal. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Seattle make a play as well. No, I don't think they've got enough supporting cast up there at the moment, Seattle. They're, they're trying to build for the future. They are acquiring picks. I don't think they go in for this just yet because they don't have enough scoring on the wings. Seattle will absolutely be in on one of them because they can't afford both. That's the problem. And the thing is that they have lower cap hits than expected because they've, they've taken less to try and stay together so that the team can win the title. Now, when you get players who are prepared to stay together for less, okay, they will try and stay together to win the cup, but that also means that they are more easily moved into the future if you do want to ship them off the roster. And I think if Vegas can go to Pittsburgh and offer maybe, I think, two first-round picks and a premium prospect, I think that'll be enough to get Sydney Crosby out of Pittsburgh. If Pittsburgh eat maybe about $2 million in cap space. Let's watch this space here. Let's go to the last team in the Metropolitan Division. It is the Washington Capitals. Almost the bane of your existence in a way, given some of our <laughs> mutual friends. And they've been very quiet, effectively, in terms of who they've um, what they've done on the trade window, especially when you consider the only game they had got shipped um, straight away. Well, no, actually, that was the one that was done in reverse. Vitek Vanacek, the goaltender, got snapped up in the expansion draft, and then Seattle sent him back to Washington, I think, for a second-round pick, which I thought was a little bit on the cheap side, actually. I would have been asking for a second and a third, maybe even a first. Um, Craig Anderson's gone to Buffalo. He was their backup goaltender last season. Henrik Lundqvist was supposed to be their backup goaltender, but he's now retired after not being able to come back from heart surgery last year. Brendan Dillon was traded to Winnipeg. Zdeno Chara hasn't been offered a new contract. I'm sure that Chara is going to end up somewhere this season playing for a team on a cup price deal. Yeah, the the Capitals, they're, they're in that same position as Pittsburgh at the moment. But the thing is that the pieces surrounding Alex Ovechkin are of a higher standard. They've got a real good goalie there in Vanacek. So Washington, I don't see them as a genuine contender anymore, but they still have the pieces to be able to make a run at the title if they really want to. So the pieces are there for Washington. I don't see them as a genuine contender. I think they make the playoffs in third spot, and I think that's all they're going to do. I can see them getting beaten in round one, not because they don't have the desire, but because they just don't have the class on that roster anymore. It was a good roster. They've had to lose a few players. I don't think this is as good as it was, and I think that Washington is headed into the downward spiral, but they're not in a position where they're going to trade Alex Ovechkin yet because I think they still see themselves as a possible contender if they can land a couple of magical pieces. But is it a similar situation to say Pittsburgh that if they if they are runners if they have a horrible season and they find themselves outside of that top three, do they then look to trade Ovechkin and start the rebuild? I don't think they'll trade Ovechkin because I think that he can still provide that scoring punch. But I think guys like Kuznetsov, Backstrom, Oshie, even John Carlson on defense, I think I think if they're struggling at the all-star break, then anybody not named Vanacek or Ovechkin goes on the trade block, put it that way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, with that, let's go take our break. And when we come back, we're going to come up with the Atlantic Division right here on Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Coringai Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. We'll be right back. Hornsby RSL Club, your perfect place to catch up with friends and family. With dining options ranging from modern Australian favourites in the courtyard, authentic Asian cuisine from Keku, or delicious wood-fired pizzas from Level 1, there is something for everyone to enjoy. Join us weekly for entertainment activities such as trivia, meat raffles, bingo and free live music, or grab some tickets to see one of our first-class entertainment acts in the showroom. Thinking of holding an event? Let our friendly events team guide you through every step to create the perfect event for any occasion. Visit our website at hornsbrsl.com.au for further details. Hornsby RSL Club, proud sponsors of Triple H. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? 
If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Welcome back to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. Anthony Bull Caruso with the Lord Mayor Keith Topolsky. We are previewing the 2021-22 NHL season and we come to the division that matters. Nothing else matters in this competition. This is the only one that counts. It is, Keith, the Atlantic Division. It is the one that counts. Every, everything else is just um, peripheral and trivial and ephemera, and this is where the action happens. Yep, this is where all the best teams are. We don't care about the rest of them. And let's get straight into it because we have got some absolute doozies in this competition. We're going to start off with the Boston Bruins. You've called them fourth place and in the playoffs. And I, for one, would like to know what on earth are you smoking because the Bruins deserve to be last every year, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Not that you're a Montreal fan and being biased or anything. No. Tuka Rask is an interesting problem here because he hasn't re-signed yet and they don't know what they're doing with him. And at the moment, their goaltending tandem is going to involve Linus Ulmark and a kid by the name of Jeremy Swayman. Now, Ulmark was pegged as the next big thing in Buffalo. and We know where good hockey goes, we know what happens to good hockey in Buffalo. Good hockey is, is it goes to Buffalo basically to die. Buffalo like is where good hockey is. goes to die. It's a black hole of hockey talent. I don't think it's even that bad. I think I think it's more akin to the Canterbury Bulldogs at the moment. Um, um, so Linus Allmark, he's not a prospect anymore. He's 28 years of age. He's got to start showing that he's a genuine NHL player and not a genuine bust. Now, it's difficult to prove yourself in Buffalo because everybody who goes to Buffalo is just bad. They've got Nick Foligno from Toronto. That's a good signing because they needed to bulk up a little bit because David Krejci has gone back to the Czech Republic. He's been a big part of that team for a long time now. And unfortunately, from some family tragedy. He's decided to put family first and gone home. They've offloaded a lot of forward power. Now, this is where I'm interested to see exactly where that scoring comes from. Of course, okay, you've still got the top line of Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron. That is a brutal line in any anyone's language. Where does the depth scoring come from? I don't know. Boston takes a step back this year, but I still think they're good enough to finish fourth, and that will get them into the playoffs. Oh, I, I I feel sick hearing that from you, to be perfectly honest. I know you want them to fail, but you have to be realistic. Boston is not in a position to fail just yet. Give it time and it might happen, but it's not happening yet. Let's move on to the next team, the Buffalo Sabres. And, well, actually, let's... Oh, let's, no. Oh, is, this, oh, no. Is, this, is this a couple of years ago? Is this a couple uh, of years ago? Uh, yes. The short answer is yes. When you go back and you look at the McEichel tank job that they did, now I refer to it as the McEichel tank job because Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel went in the same draft and whoever finished last that year was guaranteed to pick first or second. So if you didn't get Connor McDavid, you got Jack Eichel. Buffalo finished last, but Edmonton won the draft lottery, so they ended up with Jack Eichel. Now, here's the question for them. Jack Eichel wants out. He's their best player. He's got a herniated disc in his neck. Buffalo told him to do rehab. He wants surgery and he's not happy, so he wants out. Their next best player, Sam Reinhardt, he's been traded to Florida. Their next best player after that, Rasmus Ristolainen, he's been traded to Philadelphia. Next best player after that, Jake McCabe, has been traded to Chicago. (laughs) You see where I'm going with this? You see what's happening here in Buffalo. Who have they signed to replace Sam Reinhart, their second-line centre? They've signed Vinny Hinnestroza, who was fourth-line for Chicago and a healthy scratch at times during the season. Who have they signed to take over from Jake McCabe? They've signed Will Butcher from the New Jersey Devils, who wasn't wanted 
by the Devils at the end of last season. Who have they signed to take over from Linus Ullmark, who was their starting goaltender? They've signed Craig Anderson, who's 41 years of age, and Aaron Dell, who was the backup in San Jose to Martin Jones before he went across to New Jersey and was back up to Mackenzie Blackwood. You can see what's happening in Buffalo. And, they, and they've signed Devon Levi from Florida as well. Like, what are they trying to do? They're trying to find... Well, yeah, Dev- Devon Levi is not a bad prospect, but neither was Linus Ulmark, and we saw what happened to him. So Devon Levi is what they got as part of the return for Sam Reinhardt. Now, Rasmus Darlene is their next best player, He is, without doubt, their number two player on their roster right now. He hasn't re-signed as yet. Now, I just wonder whether he might be prepared to sit out a season, go and play in Europe, and then come back and be a free agent. Because Buffalo is an absolute train wreck of an organization. This place has just fallen apart. This will be, and this isn't necessarily a tank job in the same style as the McEichel draft year, where if a goaltender made a save, he got traded. But they are just naturally going to be that bad. A couple of seasons ago, remember when I tipped Detroit to have that really bad year and everybody expected Ottawa to stink it up bad? Yeah. You look at Buffalo this year, I think they're going to make that Detroit team look like a playoff contender. I think you could see new levels of futility for this Buffalo team this year. And that's compared with what Colorado did in that bad year. That's compared with what Detroit did in their bad year. And that's compared with the McEichel tank. I think this team could beat them all. And this is the scary thing, is that a team doing this badly for this long, you would say it's only a matter of time before the franchise absolutely collapses. But the problem you have with this team is that they've got such strong TV ratings and revenue that the NHL can't afford to have them fail. They are the number one television, the number one television rated area, the region in the NHL. It's the number one TV market. So Buffalo will always have a team. The question is whether the Pagoulas who own the Buffalo Bills are the right people to own this team. They need to back off. They think they know hockey. They don't know hockey. They need to back off. They need to let Kevin Adams do what he needs to do, burn this thing to the ground, start again. But seriously, Buffalo fans, how much more pain can you take? You haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. Ottawa's made it in that time. And Ottawa is on the verge of becoming a contender again. Is this is this the example of hockey sadomasochism? I, it's pro- it's probably that's probably not a bad way to put it. All things being equal, I, if you're looking for a comparison in Australian sport, the Buffalo Sabers are the Gold Coast Suns. Yeah, that'd be about right. That'd be absolutely about. They're not right. even the Canterbury Bulldogs because Canterbury was still good only five or so years ago. They still showed signs before they went into the real dark days. But the Gold Coast Suns have never been any good, despite all the promise. And this is the same thing as the Buffalo Sabres in that time. Let's move on to the Detroit Red Wings. You've got them finishing seventh, and I dare say finishing seventh by a very comfortable margin over the Sabres. Very comfortable margin. The only reason they're not eighth, as I say, is because of the Buffalo Sabres being in that division. This is another rebuild, and we saw how bad they were two years ago. But again, they're just taking that slow building opportunity. They're getting rid of players that are veterans. They're bringing in kids. They're just making sure that they add smartly. I like the addition of Nedeljkovic from Carolina. He's now the goaltender of the future in Detroit. So they have a goaltender to build around. Now they just need to build the rest of the roster. Some of the drafting has been a little bit questionable over the last couple of years, but the job that Steve Eisenman did in putting together that Tampa Bay team that won back-to-back Stanley Cups, you can say that Julian Brisebois was the GM for Tampa and is the GM for Tampa in that time frame, but that was all built by Steve Eisenman. So if he can do that in Tampa, I'm not going to say he can't do the same thing in Detroit, but he was working off a much better a base in Tampa, and you have to be more patient in Detroit. It's going to be another lean year, but I can see the strategy that Eisenman is putting in place, and personally, I like it. It's just not ready to come to fruition yet. Let's go to the Florida Panthers. You called them for the playoffs here, and they picked up Sam Reinhart and Joe Thornton. They haven't lost that many players, and they look like they've got a team that is settling quite nicely. They needed some veteran leadership in the forwards last year. Their forwards lacked a veteran presence. Joe Thornton is that veteran presence. He was drafted in 1997 
as an 18-year-old. 42 years of age now. I think he turns 43 during the season. So Thornton is that veteran leadership they need. They needed a real strong second-line centre to drive the attack behind Sasha Barkov, and that's what Sam Reinhardt is. He's been playing second-line centre behind Jack Eichel almost his entire career. So that's what they needed. They saw two things they needed. They went out and they got them. Alex Wenberg, drafted by by Seattle, would have liked to keep him, but you're not going to you're not going to scream and carry on um, for losing a guy like that. Nikita Gusev didn't work out. Anton Strawman on defense wasn't really more than a bit player. Devin Levi, well, okay, he's a goalie prospect of the future. A lot of promise in him, but they've already got Spencer Knight if Sergei Bobrovsky falls over. So they were they were blessed for talent in net. So Levi was one they could afford to let go in order to get Sam Reinhardt. Very few changes. They make sure that they're in there. They've really got that talent moving around there. If Bobrovsky can step up, then I think this team, this Florida Panthers team, can consider themselves a genuine contender. But Bobrovsky, he really needs to start stepping up because a $70 million contract as a goaltender places a lot of emphasis on you and a lot of obligation on you at the same time. We then move on to the next team, the Montreal Canadiens, who out of nowhere made out of nowhere made the Stanley Cup finals. Now, they weren't expected to beat Tampa. They lost to Tampa, but it has to be said, far from disgrace given what the miracles they pulled last year. But for a team that made the finals out of nowhere, they have gone heavy to the market this year. I asked in the first half of the show, but I just want to ask again, has the burn settled down? Have you recovered from the Kotkaniemi burn yet? I've, I've applied liquid nitrogen to that burn. It still hasn't worked yet. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, the, and it's an interesting way they've gone about it. They needed to bulk up the blue line a bit. David Savard is a real good option there. Kotkaniemi disappearing, takes a forward option away. They took those picks that they got from Carolina, traded them almost immediately for Christian Dvorak from Arizona. So that's a good pickup as well. Mike Hoffman gives them some extra scoring on that second line from that left wing spot. Mathieu Perot gives them some toughness in the middle. You can see what Mark Bergevin's trying to do. The only question is, is it actually going to work? Now, no Kotkaniemi, that's an interesting situation they're faced with. I think they make the playoffs because I think what they've got in Mike Hoffman and David Savard gives them enough to be able to push forward enough in the regular season. Remember, they were the worst team in the playoffs last season by their regular season record. I don't think that continues this season because I think they make that step forward and are able to really get in there. They've still got Jake Allen, because Carey Price made himself available at the expansion draft. Obviously, Seattle was never going to take him, but they've just managed to add to those areas where they needed to, and I think they've managed to get enough improvement to be able to push themselves just forward enough to be able to get past the likes of Pittsburgh, because remember, those teams in the Metro Division, they're all playing each other. In the Atlantic, they're all playing each other as well, and I think that Montreal can now take that next step. The only question I do have is that two of their biggest stars in this team are now starting to show a little bit of age, and both of them being Shea Weber and Carey Price. Now, Carey Price was absolutely immense last year in the playoffs, but these two are starting to uh, very much now in the twilights of their careers, and Montreal needs to start planning for life after these two. They do, but how exactly you go about that is the big question. And Shea Weber, I've got no doubt that he's going to be on long-term injured reserve for the entire season, and he may have played his last game because the injuries are just that bad. Carey Price, he showed in the playoffs that he's still got life. I think Carey Price, he's going to be your playoff specialist. I think that's why they were so determined to keep Jake Allen uh, at the expansion draft last season. Jake Allen, if he can start half the games. So if Carey Price plays maybe 40 games, Jake Allen may even start the majority of games this season for them. If they can get to the playoffs, Carey Price can really turn it on in the playoffs. That's where I think Montreal is as far as their goaltending goes now. I I think that they can probably ride that one out. They just need a really strong defensive option to be able to fill that Shea Weber gap. That's where I start asking some questions, but David Savard is a real good pickup to be able to start filling that hole. Let's go to your beloved Ottawa Senators. And they have started building again. The That pipeline is starting to produce quite nicely for yourself. Drake Batherson's just signed on to a new contract. I'm really pleased that 
what the cap hit came in at just under $5 million. I think he's probably worth about five and a half. So the fact that he came in under five, I think was really good. Brady Kachuk is not far away from signing a new deal. It's just a question of whether he signs short or long-term. And the only reason he's not prepared to sign long-term is because they don't know what the salary cap's doing at the moment. So that's why they might go shorter term. Joey Decord, big loss in the expansion draft. I don't mind the fact that Pierre Dorian shipped out Dadanov to Vegas for Holden and a pick. I think Nick Holden is going to give some good leadership and some good mentoring for the defenseman this season on the blue line. I think that's what was missing last year with some real, real strong mentoring. I know Good Branson was a real tough guy, but he didn't really give that sort of mentoring role. I think Nick Holden is much better suited to that. Michael Del Zotto, handy pickup if you're looking for a depth defenseman as well. Um, Scott Sabrin's going to uh, help some of the prospects play in the AHL team in Belleville too. Not going to the playoffs this season, Ottawa. I think I can see a sixth-place finish in the Atlantic Division for my Senators, but this season is not about making the playoffs. If they're still technically in the playoff race at the deadline, then I'll be very happy because that gives them an opportunity to play some meaningful games in the last days of the season. I do see them dropping out, though, and you might see guys like Holden and Del Zotto flip to the deadline for another couple of picks or prospects, but I think next season is where you see a real big step forward. And if Matt Murray doesn't step up this year, then I think Philip Gustafson in net is almost ready to take over as well. So I can see some real bright days ahead. It's just not this year. Let's move on to the defending champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. You've called them first again. Are you tipping them to defend their title? No. The the problem that they've got is that the salary cap has come to bite them. They signed Blake Coleman. They signed Barclay Goodrow to try and stock up and bring some toughness and some grit. They've had to let those guys go. They've had to let their backup goalie and Curtis McElhinney go. Luke Shen was a really solid option on defense. They've had to let him go. Tyler Johnson, really good at driving third-line scoring. They've had to let him go. Yanni Gord, again, a really good option on the second and third lines. Gone to Seattle. David Savard really added some starch to their second and third pairings in the defense last year. He had to go. However, they've signed Zach Bogosian from Toronto. He's a good second, third pair option. They brought in Brian Elliott from Philadelphia, who is a really good backup goaltending option. You want grit up front. Corey Perry fills that role nicely. So they know exactly what they need to do. They know the sorts of things they've lost and they've signed replacements for those things. I just think that there's too many players that they've lost who provide those very specialized roles that they don't have the cap space to sign enough replacements for all of them. And I think that's what's going to see them struggle in the playoffs this season. But three in a row, it's not an unrealistic expectation. Put it this way. If Tampa Bay don't make the conference final, the season will be a letdown. If they lose the conference final or lose the cup final, I think they'll still look at this season and say, you know what, that's a pretty good effort given the cap situation we're in. Now, you've got one of them in particular, which was Brent Seabrook coming over during the, in that trade for Tyler Johnson, uh, costing more, but going on an LTIR. For the benefit of our listeners, explain the LTIR. Okay, so long-term injured reserve is a way to basically get out from the salary cap. So if you've got a guy, and they did this last year with Nikita Kucherov. Kucherov was on a $9 million contract and they were up against the salary cap. So they parked him on long-term injured reserve for the entire year. Now, it, it doesn't sound like the entire rot that it seems because let's face it, Kucherov is probably their best player and you're not going to put your best player on the sideline for the entire year. But if he really wanted to, he could probably come back and play the last two weeks of the season. But in the playoffs, there's no salary cap in the NHL because the trade deadline happens a month before the playoffs start. So you would think that you would have everybody in adherence with the cap until then, which sounds fantastic for them. Beautifully done. Nice. Here's the interesting situation is Brent Seabrook for Tyler Johnson. Now, Brent Seabrook is worth about $6.8 million. Tyler Johnson is worth five. So they bring Brent Seabrook in. So they actually acquire an extra $1.8 million in salary. But by parking him on long-term injured reserve for the year, they actually get that $6.8 million in freed up salary cap space. So they actually save money by bringing in a guy who's on a bigger contract. That's the vagaries of the NHL salary cap. I think it's an absolute farce that they can do it. But 
Full credit to Tampa Bay Lightning. They know how the cap works. They know how to expose the loopholes. I think it's a farce that this loophole exists, but they're using it to their advantage, and I say good luck to them. I think it's a stroke of genius on their part. Yeah, this is this would be designed for someone who's picked up a very serious injury. It's going to see them miss the majority of the season. Say, say for example, someone picks up an ACL injury. We know they're going to be out for at least six to nine months. Now, the big thing to remember here too is that NHL squads are not like NRL or AFL squads where you have big numbers in reserve. In the NRL, you have a top 30, but only 18 play every week, 17-plus year concussion protocol player. In the NHL, you have 20 players a night playing, but you only get a squad of 23. In order to add to that, you have to call players up from the minor leagues, and they may not be able to be called up because then you have to send them back down and another team might claim them. It's a very complicated system by comparison. So basically, if you're in an NHL squad, you're playing almost every night. You only get room to carry three extra players. So that's not an awful lot of room to manoeuvre if you're an NHL team. So, And this is where using that long-term injured reserve really does work to your benefit. So, yeah, it's a nice way to be able to expose gaps in the system and you can park players here and use the money elsewhere because Brent Seabrook will not play again. The only reason he's not retiring is because he doesn't want to leave Chicago with a salary cap what they call recapture penalty, which would just be crippling to the club. So he's now on long-term injured reserve. He'll be there until he, he finishes his contract and then he retires. So Tampa Bay, they use this to their benefit. And I think I think it's just absolute genius and good luck to them. I think it should be closed, but I say good luck to them. We then move on to the last team in this listing, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And boy, did we point and laugh at them last year after they crashed and burned in the playoffs, it was a thing of beauty. You've called them to finish second place, which can only mean it's going to happen again. Well, if you want, if you want to understand what the Toronto Maple Leafs are, it's sort of like Parramatta in the NRL, but I liken it more to the Simpsons episode where Homer had the spit roast and Lisa got rid of it. And you just see you know that he's not going to get the pig. You know Toronto's not going to win the cup, but you just love to see all the Toronto fans and the Toronto players think they're a chance at winning the cup, getting that pig on the spit back. And, it, you know, it's just a little slimy. It's still good. It's still good. It's just a little, everyone. It's still good. It's still good. It's gone. I know. Everybody knows that Toronto is going to choke in the playoffs, but it's just so fun watching it happen because they find new ways to do it all the time. They just find a way to lose when they shouldn't be. Now, one thing I will pay credit for Kyle Dubas for is he brought in Jaron McCann from Pittsburgh, who was promptly snapped up in the expansion draft by Seattle. Most people would say, well, that's a stupid thing to do. But the thing is that Jaron McCann is almost identical as a player to a player already on the Toronto roster in Alex Kerfoot. So basically what Dubas did was he brought in Kerfoot number two. And he said to Seattle, okay, you take who you want. I know you're taking Kerfoot number one, but do you want Kerfoot number two? Because if you take Kerfoot one, then Kerfoot two is just as good and vice versa. So he basically took out an insurance policy and the insurance policy paid off. So effectively what he did was give up a minor league player and a sixth round pick. Very rarely do sixth round picks turn out, says the man who got a franchise captain and Mark Stone out of the sixth round. Thank you very much, Ottawa. (laughs) But very rarely do six-round picks turn out. So for a six-round pick and a guy that's never going to play in the NHL, they protected an extra player on their roster. Kyle Dubas did very well there, but Freddie Anderson's gone in net. Peter Mrazek's come in. They've signed Nick Ritchie from Boston as a forward. They've signed Andre Kasher as a forward. They don't have problems in the forwards. They have problems on the blue line. This is how stupid it is. They've got problems with their blue line. So they get rid of Carly Rosen, who's a depth defenseman. They bring in two forwards to try and make up for the fact that they're going to probably end up trading Morgan Riley, their number one defenseman. Why you would trade your number one defenseman when you don't have enough defense at the moment, I don't know. I don't get it. 
if you're going to bring players in, you bring in defensive reinforcements. But no, they want to try and score their way through the playoffs. Newsflash to the Maple Leafs, you don't win playoff games 7-4. You win playoff games 2-1 or one to nothing. The New York Islands have figured it out, and that's why they're a strong playoff team. The Maple Leafs haven't figured it out, so I will take very good odds to the Maple Leafs missing out on going through the playoffs again this season. I think they make the playoffs as the second team in the Atlantic. I think they run up a big, big regular season um, score. I think they run up a big record, and then I think they get knocked down in the first round again. Oh, I would love to see that happen again. And you, think- you, know, you know the best part, though? What's that? Is that I think, I think Toronto finished with a better regular season record than the Carolina Hurricanes. And I think Montreal finish as the worst-placed playoff team in the Eastern Conference. So you know who Toronto gets to play in the first round of the playoffs if that happens? Montreal. And I think Montreal beats them again. <laughs> uh, I can tell you what. Montreal would not care if they lo- don't win the Stanley Cup. If they knock out Toronto again in the first round of finals, they'll go, we don't care what happens now. We just knocked out Toronto again. And I think that's what's going to happen. I I really do shudder to think how Toronto will react if two years in a row they get knocked out by a Montreal team that is built to defend, to grind, and to just really slug it out with teams against a Toronto team that is built to play high-octane hockey that does not work in the playoffs. I mean, the the sign that Toronto were going to lose was, I think, the third playoff match when Montreal won 0 and I think Carey Price saved... I think it was like 45 from 45. You just, you watch that game and Toronto's heads just dropped and just went, no, that's it. We're done. We can't win this. The thing is, amongst a group of people that I chat with often, everybody had Toronto winning the series last year except me. And I said Habs in six and everybody laughed at me. It turned out I was only one game off because it was Habs in seven. So when you can see that Toronto really do lack that grit, that grind, that determination, that veteran presence that really does get into the nasty areas of the ice, that's when that's when I think you're going to see real problems for Toronto in the playoffs. And they, they need to figure out another way because this team's just not working. Well, ladies and gentlemen, those are the individual teams. We're going to finish off here with our conference finals predictions and you've tipped to start off with for the West. The Vegas Golden Knights are back again, but they're up against the Colorado Avalanche, and this is going to be an absolute cracker. I don't think there's any doubt. These are by far the two best teams in the Western Conference. They have been for a few seasons now. We saw them last season in the uh, semifinal uh, rather than the last four, so we didn't quite get to see them play uh, in that last four. I think you'll see that this season. I think Colorado gets over the top of Vegas. Um, I, I I like what I'm seeing from Vegas, but I think with Colorado, it's an interesting offset. Colorado's weakness, as we talked about last week, could be their goaltending, but Vegas's weakness will be scoring in the playoffs because they don't have that elite center option. Now, if Pittsburgh crash and burn and one of Evgeny Malkin or Sidney Crosby end up on the Vegas Golden Knights, I, rev- I, rev- I reserve the right to change my pick. But at the moment, I think Colorado will have enough to get over Vegas. And then in the East, you've gone for Tampa versus the New York Islanders. This should be an absolute cracker, but I think you hinted before that it might be the Islanders going through. It's a rematch of the last two conference finals or the last two finals matchups in the final four, Tampa Bay versus the New York Islanders. Islanders have taken them to seven each time. Tampa Bay now lacking just that little bit of grit, that little bit of grind. And I think this is where the Islanders can get them. I think the Islanders have just had to wait for the cap crunch to kick in, but I think the Islanders do get them this year. And they were so close to knocking them off last year. And then you look at what Tampa did in the final against Montreal, just played with Montreal, really. New York Islanders were the team that went within an inch of knocking Tampa Bay off. I think they get it done this season. And then that makes the final Colorado versus the New York Islanders. Who is your tip to take out the Stanley Cup? The problem that New York Islanders had last year against Tampa was that they couldn't find a goal when it counted in a real gritty game. 
And again, I think that's going to be the New York Islanders' problem again this year. And if Colorado can manage to find a way to get their blue line operating properly, I think this is their year. But don't tell Shane Evans. No, absolutely not. Finally, we're going to do our last our last two predictions. Your pick for the President's Trophy and your pick for the overall wooden spoon. I think President's Trophy is probably going to be... Oh, that's a very interesting pick because you know who I'm picking for the wooden spoon and it's going to be no contest there. Um, Sorry, Buffalo fans. I think Vegas probably win the President's Trophy this season. I think they just get there. Um, We saw that it was Colorado and Vegas going toe-to-toe for the President's Trophy last season. I think that happens again this season, although I just wonder whether Carolina might be able to get in there for that argument as well because they were there for a long time. Uh, last season. So I think the President's Trophy race will be very similar to last season. I think Vegas go home with it this year. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is full time here and we can't wait for the NHL to start up this year. And we hope as well to our good friends in the Australian Ice Hockey League that they're able to get some sort of competition going again next year. My thanks to the Lord Mayor Keith Topolsky for joining us. And we can only hope that we can see some ice hockey, not only in the US and Canada, but in Australia sometime soon. That's what we're all hoping for. Yeah, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, that is full-time here on Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Coringide Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. On behalf of Keith Topolsky, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night.